In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the beautiful gift of life. We ask you to please bless us during this second day of our parish mission. Help us send your Holy Spirit down upon us that we may grow in intentional discipleship, that we may grow in intentional disciples of you, that we may welcome you into our hearts, that we may accept you as our Lord and Savior, and that we may always live out our lives, giving glory and honor to your name. And Mother Mary, we offer up all these prayers and petitions to you as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, well, thank you all for being here for the second night of our parish mission. I see many returning faces. I see a couple new faces, which is fantastic. If you missed night one for whatever reason, it is recorded on our Facebook and on our YouTube channel, so you can go back and watch that recording at your convenience. Or if there are people that watch this later on, they were here last night but not here today, welcome to the recording. Um, so what I'm going to do real quick is go over a quick summary of what we talked about yesterday. So we're all on the same page, especially for the new faces, and then we're going to dive right in. So yesterday we talked about the problem of the nuns, right? I was saying nuns, Father was saying nuns, same thing. But the nuns are these people that have slowly drifted away from church. Not just the Catholic Church, but have slowly drifted away from faith in God in general. Protestants have the same problem as we do as Catholics. And so now these nuns are exactly as it sounds. They're nothing. They might love Jesus. They might not like Jesus. They might not like religion. They're just kind of in this no man's land of nothing. We also talked about yesterday that 71% of the nuns simply said they drifted away. They drifted away from church. There was no real reason. It was just a gradual drifting. Okay? And so the challenge was, is if 71% of the nuns simply drifted away, how many people are slowly drifting away that are in the pews next to you at daily mass? Right? How many people are drifting into this nuns that we see every single Sunday? And so what are we supposed to do to address these people that are drifting away, and how do we keep them here? One of the big statistics about the nuns is that one-third of these people don't believe in a personal God. So there's a struggle of relationship with God. They don't see God as personal. They don't think they can have this relationship with God. But this is very important within the Catholic journey, right? We talked about yesterday that there are three concurrent spiritual journeys that we're all going on in the Catholic Church. And that is one, our relationship with God. Two, our sacramental journey of sacraments of initiation. And three, the activities of the church. So just being involved in the church. And we as Catholics a lot of times assume that if you are on journey two, your sacramental journey, and you're on journey three, your involvement in church activity, that you naturally are already have completed journey one, that you already have a relationship with Christ, which is an unfair assumption because sacraments, catechesis, activities of church does not equal having a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And so we need to break the spiral of silence within the Catholic Church. We need to stop hiding our relationship with Christ. We need to communicate about that relationship, share that with, uh, with others, have these conversations in order to make that the normal. That our love with Jesus Christ and our relationship with him is indeed normal. And so what does that mean for us to, be, to share this? It means to be an intentional disciple. We've been using this book, Forming Intentional Disciples, by Sherry Waddell. Great, great book, highly suggested for everyone. You can find it on Amazon. Um, fantastic book that kind of outlines a lot of both of my talks and Father's talks as well. And so we ended yesterday with what does it mean to be an intentional disciple? And I kind of gave you four key points to being an intentional disciple. One, dropping your nets. Dropping whatever is keeping you away from your relationship with Jesus. Whatever that might be. That could be a whole host of things. I won't go into the list right now. Dropping your nets. Number two, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I know that feels like a Protestant term, and us as Catholics get a little squirmy when we say that, but it's very true. We need to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior at the center of our lives, because a whole host of things will come out of that if Jesus is the center. Three, we need to learn about our faith. We need to learn about the faith that Jesus Christ gave us. The example I used yesterday is that the church is the bride of Christ, and any Married individual knows that if you don't get along with that person's spouse, you're not going to get along with them. If you don't get along with my wife, if you don't know at least a little bit about my wife, it's going to be a hard time for us to have a relationship too. So we need to learn about the church. We need to learn about Jesus because that's part of having a relationship with him. And finally, the fourth point was we need to evangelize. And this is going to be the point we're going to talk about the rest of my talk. How do we evangelize? What is evangelization for an intentional disciple? So first thing we need to understand about evangelization. It's not about you. It is not about you. It is about the Holy Spirit using you as an instrument, as a tool to share the faith. The parable that I love to talk about this point is the parable of the sower in the field, the sower of seed in the field. Okay? We all know this story. The sower takes the seed and some falls on the path. Some falls on the rocky soil. Some falls among the weeds. Now, I don't know if there's any farmers here. I don't see Mark Malden tonight. I know I would have one example. But that's a really bad farmer. Over like four-fifths of the seed that he's spreading is falling on poor soil. And any farmer knows that you're not going to waste the seed. You're not going to throw it on the path. You're not going to throw it among the rocks. That's a waste of money. But this is what Jesus is asking us to do. He says, throw it everywhere. Because it's not your job or my job to make sure it grows. It's the Holy Spirit's job. So as soon as we get ourselves out of the picture, and we know Jesus just said, throw it everywhere, that makes our lives a whole lot easier. We don't even need to hang out to see if it grows all the time. Because that's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job, right? Now, we're going to help it grow as much as we can, but it's not about you. Kind of the key factor here. Number two, 
Many of you might not know this, but I am currently in the middle of getting my MBA, my Master's of Business Administration. I am on my last year. I will walk in May, and my final class will be this summer, and I will be done forever, most likely. But one thing that I have learned, and I already knew this somewhat, but one thing that they hammered into us in all these business classes is that you have to know your audience. You have to know who you're talking to. One size does not fit all. Every relationship with Jesus Christ is different. Everyone is on a different journey. So if you don't know who you're talking to, if you don't have at least a basic relationship with your audience, you're going to have a very hard time. We are not called to be street evangelists, right? We're not called to be tele-evangelists. There's a place and time for that, right? Billy Graham did amazing things. But you and I, in the Catholic Church and in our community, we need to know our audience. We need to know who we are talking to in order to give that seed the best chance we can. Okay? So, it's not about you. Trust in the Holy Spirit. Know your audience. And number three, never accept a label for a story. Never accept a label for a story. We're going to be talking about a lot of labels here. Okay? We are, we like to put things in boxes, or at least the guys do, right? We've got the waffle brains and the ladies have the spaghetti brains. So for my waffle brain, I like to put people in the boxes. When I'm working with my RCIA, people in RCIA, I need to sort the fish, as I like to say. I've got my catechumens, I got my candidates, I got my baptized Catholics that just need confirmation of First Communion. I got my baptized Catholics who just need confirmation. I got my conditional baptism people. They're all in little boxes. I know where they're at. But the problem is when we're evangelizing, we can't just put people in boxes because there's no such thing as boxes. Because everyone's story is different. Everyone's journey is different. So you have to get the story. And the only way you can get that story is if you know your audience. You have to have that communication first. You have to know who you're talking to, and you have to get the story. So do not accept a label for a story. Like I said, we're going to talk a lot about labels, but there's a story underneath that we have to have first, okay? All right, so you have your little handouts here. Everyone got a handout? Everyone got a handout? If you didn't get a handout, somebody's got my stack someplace. If you didn't get a handout, put your hand up in the air, and my lovely assistant, Chris Brinsfield, is going to hand them out for me. Thank you so much, Chris. She works in the office half day a week, so I can order her around just a little bit, and it's fantastic. All right, when you look at this, you're going to see this arrow going at a 45-degree angle upwards, right? You're going to start at the bottom. You've got trust, curiosity, openness, seeking, discipleship. On a spiritual journey, and when we are evangelizing, we have to understand that everyone is going to go through this journey every single step of this journey. Some steps might be faster than others, but everyone is going to take the same journey, okay? Now, first key point that I want to point out, because we as Catholics don't always get this point, okay? You see these little triangles with the words, right, covering the certain categories? Catechesis. We as Catholics love catechesis. We as Catholics love learning about our faith. That's what makes us partly an intentional disciple, But notice where the catechesis fits in the story. Only in the last two sections of the thresholds. 
okay? Catechesis is not evangelization because evangelization is about knowing Jesus Christ, having a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is a difference between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. I was trying to come up with a good sports analogy, so I'm going to use Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, as my sports analogy, but you could fit any celebrity into this category that you'd like. I may know a lot of facts about Aaron Rodgers from the Green Bay Packers. I actually don't, but let's just say I do, right? Maybe I know a lot of facts about him. I could tell you how he did in his rookie year. I could tell you how many touchdowns he got last season. I can tell you his incompletion percentage, his passer rating, all these things. I can know all the facts about Aaron Rodgers, but I've never met the guy. I probably will never meet the guy. So how, I could be a fan of Aaron Rodgers, but if I've never met him, can I be a follower of Aaron Rodgers? Can I know him personally and intimately if I've never met him? And the answer is no. Same idea with catechesis. Catechesis is so incredibly important at the right point. For all of you who are well on your way to discipleship, if not already there, it's beautiful, it's glorious, it's wonderful, and I want you to soak up as much as humanly possible, as we've talked about. That is a sign of an intentional disciple. And notice, it is still on the sheet, but we got to get there first. So we need to take catechesis and put it in its right spot. Don't jump the gun, okay? Because catechesis can overwhelm people that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ first, right? It can be very overwhelming. It can be a lot to take on when you don't realize, wait, what is the point of this? Oh, yeah, that's right. I need to know who Jesus Christ is and have a relationship with him first. So just wanted to get that out of the way. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through these five thresholds of conversion, talk about these stages. And while we do this, Think about people in your lives who would fall into these categories. This is a mental exercise, right? Who do I know that might fall in these categories? Because what we're going to be talking about is how to best help them on their journey of faith. How are we going to best introduce Jesus Christ to them? And so how can we be better disciples and help people on this walk of faith? So first one, trust. Pretty self-explanatory. There's a lot of lack of trust in our world today, in everything. So in order to have a journey with Jesus Christ, you have to first trust him. You have to first trust that Jesus has your best interest at heart. You have to also trust in the church that he founded. People can have these trusts in a lot of ways, right? It might be a little tiny grain of trust. Maybe at one point they were walking through a supermarket and they ran into a Catholic priest who smiled at them and said hello. Well, their only interaction with the Catholic Church is that smiling, lovely priest that we call Father Eckert, right? Or it could be, and this was an example from the book, right? Charlie Brown Christmas, when Linus gives the story of the nativity, that might be somebody's only experience of the story of Jesus Christ being born at Christmas. And through that loving story, they may have this trust in Christianity. Okay? So we don't know what that trust could be. We don't know where that line of trust could be, and this is why we need to hear the story. Now, on the flip side, 
there's a lot of people in our world with a lack of trust. Something has caused them to not trust Jesus Christ or the church. That could be sex abuse scandals. That could be one time they went to confession and the priest railed on them for whatever reason. One time they came to the church door and they wanted to pray and they just needed to find help and the church doors were locked. All of these things could create a bad taste in their mouths. So we, as intentional disciples, need to be that bridge of trust. You might be the first Catholic that somebody ever met. The first loving, intentional disciple Catholic that they ever met. And you might be that bridge of trust. Or you might be the one to come in and tell them to give the church another chance. Give Jesus Christ another chance. Let me bring you to meet this priest. Let me bring you to church when it's open and we can pray together. Let me bring you to have this experience to build this line of trust. Okay? So first thing, we have to build the trust. And the trust might already be there and we might just need to pull it out. Say, hey, that was Jesus. That was the church. See, you already have that trust there. We need to bring that to the light. All right, once people have this trust, okay, then, as we see on our handout, then curiosity comes into play. People are interested in what's going on. Well, if I trust the church, maybe there's something good going on here. What makes this person tick? What makes you tick? Why are you so happy all the time? And what is our response supposed to be? We have to be careful not to build the trust in the church. Because even us, disciples, sometimes can have our trust in the church waver, right? Think about COVID. COVID is a great example of this. Every single Catholic church in the nation had some different COVID policy, right? People that went to churches that were very strict or not, no COVID policies at all really lost a lot of trust in the church, depending on where they fell in the political debate around COVID, right? And so when we build trust on the church, the church is made up of fallen human beings. And there's a lot of reasons to lose that trust. So we have to build the trust on the one person and one thing that will never fail, and that is Jesus Christ. We have to talk about Jesus in the curiosity stage. Now, you and I, again, we love catechesis. We want to give them all the facts and all the information and all the stuff. No, no, no. You need to tell them, remember you're evangelizing, why you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to convince them that Jesus is worth it. Okay? And how do we do this? Well, we have to take a page out of Jesus' playbook. Jesus always, almost always, answered a question with another question. Okay? And here's here's some statistics that Sherry Waddell shares in her book. Jesus asked 183 questions in the Gospels. He answered, like gave a straight answer to three questions that people asked of him. And he answered a question with another question 307 times. That would have driven me nuts. Jesus, I just want a straight answer, right? But he is God. He knows better than we do, right? So how can we make our brothers and sisters come to the answers themselves? How can we ask the questions and challenge them? Because, true, we could answer the question, but think about your own life. What's better? Somebody telling you an answer 
or somebody walking with you in that journey to show you the answer that you come to yourselves, right? So ask questions. Also tell stories. Think about all the parables that Jesus told. We learn a lot from stories. We love stories as human beings, right? Jesus loved telling stories. We call them parables. Tell a story. Because, remember, right, stories are better than labels, right? Never accept a label in place of a story. So we shouldn't give labels either. We should tell a story. People will learn better that way. So we've got trust, curiosity. And this is kind of what we would call an the pre-evangelization. Nothing too big. We're just making sure that the soil is fairly fertile, right? Now, it doesn't mean don't throw the seed if it's not fertile, but, you know, we're making sure that the ground is good. We need to make sure that there's not going to be anything that's going to detract from this first, because you can't run the marathon if you don't know how to walk yet. We're kind of at the walking stage, right? And openness is when we start to get into more True evangelization, okay? Because what happens is openness. Openness is simply people accepting the possibility that there could be something there. Okay, maybe you got a good point. I'm not ready to commit. I'm not ready to dive in. But I'm starting to see what you might be saying. I'm starting to see that Jesus plays a role in your life that might be good for my own life. I'm just starting to see that this relationship may be important, okay? It's not a lot, but we can start to challenge people a little bit. Start to say, I see you're not happy. Can I help you? I know how you could be happy. Come see Jesus, right? We could start to push a little bit more because we have the trust. They've kind of gone through this curiosity, and this is the stage we can start to present some more things. And... Sherry Waddell gives us some good questions or good talking points for this stage, right? And notice that it's starting to be a little pushy, and that that's okay, right? We need to challenge our brothers and sisters at times. So I'm just going to go through this list real quick. Practice non-judgmental truthfulness, right? Challenge them a little bit in a non-judgmental, loving way, but tell them the truth. Hey, that's not really good for you at this stage in life. Hey. Stop looking at porn. Hey, stop doing that. That's not the best thing for you. Start to challenge them. Right? Call them out on some things. Ask thought-provoking questions. Start to dig deeper. Right? We talked about answering questions with questions, but make them think. Because we, as really human nature, but also Americans, are kind of lazy. And we kind of like our comforts, comforts of life. Right? So this is a stage to make people feel a little bit uncomfortable. Push them a little bit. Help them to connect the dots, right? They've had the curiosity stage. They're open to it. Start saying, hey, you like this, but you don't like that. Don't those things go together? Actually, Deacon challenged me with a very good question yesterday that he had from, I guess, one of his patients about apostolic succession. That would be a great thing where they maybe are coming with some truths of Christianity that don't match very well with the Catholic truths. But guess what? You know that they match because... We know that the church is the church that Jesus Christ founded. And so we can start to challenge some people's preconceived notions here. Encourage them to ask God for a sign. Yeah, that sounds a little bit dangerous, right? It sounds a little bit weird, but God's going to 
present that to them, right? God is always going to give us a sign. It might not be the sign that we want, but we have to trust that God is going to lead us where he's going to lead us to. And sometimes, no matter how big or small that sign might be, he's probably telling us or showing us something, right? Ask them if you can pray for them to be open to God. Great thing you should probably be doing it anyways, whether you ask or not, won't hurt. But when you present the conversation of, may I pray for you to be open to God, that challenges them. Because now they know that you're in it, that you're spending time and energy to pray for them. And all of a sudden, that makes, means you're committed. And they, obviously, anyone that we're talking to likes to see that we're committed to them, that we're committed to their journey. Are they committed to their journey? And the last thing, ask them if they would be willing to pray themselves and acknowledge their openness to God. Will you try? Just give it a shot. Just give it a chance. I promise you won't lose out on this bargain, right? It's a glorious thing, this relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this is kind of the, the passive stages, right? They're not changing anything. They're not actively doing anything. They're just receiving and the best way to help people in these passive areas, the trust, curiosity, and openness, is adoration. Get people here to experience the love of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Because you can't beat that. You and I can't do anything better than Jesus. And how else can you have a relationship with Jesus if you don't have a relationship with him in the Eucharist? It is the source and summit of our faith, right? Jesus gave himself body, blood, soul, and divinity for us to ultimately receive at the Mass, but also to sit in a door in his presence, physically here. You can't get that anywhere else. And people all the time acknowledge that without even realizing they're acknowledging it. People come to visit the Catholic Church. There was something different about that church. I just felt a presence there that was different than other churches that I've been to. I just felt happier and more joy-filled. I hear these stories all the time with people in RCIA who just have come into the church and felt something different. So bringing them to the church is the best way to have Jesus work on their hearts. Because again, it's not about you. And it's not even about the church. It's about introducing people to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And no better way to do that than an adoration. All right, I want to give one, one story about openness. I think it was two years ago now, I was getting ready to do my uh, next RCIA class. It was actually one of the ministry fairs that we had. So maybe a little bit longer than two years, maybe three years. And father comes in and introduces um, a, a son and his father to me, right? And says, hey, they, they want to be in your RCIA class. I'm like, oh, great. This is awesome. Enrollment's happening right now. We're getting ready to start the class. Bring it on. And this gentleman comes up and introduces himself and says, I am a Protestant pastor. I have helped start a couple churches, but my son is very, very interested in the Catholic Church. He has learned about the Catholic Church from a friend in school, and he's very interested, and I have really no interest at all, but I want to be here to support my son. So I'm just here along for the ride. And I said, oh boy, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. In my head, at least. I don't think I said it out loud. Oh, yeah, of course. Please do come. That would be great. Even if you don't become Catholic, it's just great to learn about the church and great to learn about Catholicism. You know, the very vague answer that I give to just about everyone. Oh, yeah, just come. 
as I always say to you, if I have an open seat, I'm willing to fill it with a warm body. You could be that warm body that fills this seat. It would be perfect, right? And now this gentleman is helping me to teach the RCIA classes, right? He's helping me to teach the RCIA classes. He was open. Hey, he was also curious, right? What is my son getting himself into? But he was open. He was willing to take the time to do something that's abnormal for his schedule as a Protestant minister to put himself out in an awkward situation, right? Just think if they got wind that he was coming to the Papist church, right? That wouldn't have gone too well, most likely. So he was putting himself out on a limb to try something in support of his son. That is openness, right? And, I mean, his son was getting him to Mass, too. <laughs> There's a pretty good way to be open to Jesus, right? All right, fourth stage. This is where we start to get fourth threshold, excuse me. This is where we start to get into the active participation, okay? The seeking. And this is where catechesis starts to come into play. You have trust in Jesus Christ, right? You've been curious about him, curious about the church, learned a little bit, asked some questions. We've asked some questions back. You've been open to a change. You've been open to new ideas. You've been open to learning more. And then the seeking, this is where people start measuring the investment. What is this going to cost me? How do you actually live your life? What are the things that I'm going to have to stop if I become Catholic? What are the things I'm going to have to start if I become Catholic? What, is, what, what are sins? What is confession? Do I have to really go sit in a box and tell a priest my sins? Right? They're starting to put the pieces together and say, okay, if I put down my down payments, what's going on? It's kind of like the due diligence period of buying a house. If I buy this house, what am I getting myself into? Right? What's going on with this house before I invest? Same thing. What's going on with this church? What does this mean for my life? And it's a totally free decision, right? We're not forcing anyone to do anything, but we have made the offer... And they're curious what happens when they accept it. And then this is where you start throwing the Catholicism series at them, right? Bishop Robert Barron. You start saying, hey, check this thing out. This thing is awesome. And it's going to help you understand the church so much better. It's going to help you understand Jesus so much better. And that's when you start reeling them in with that hook, line, and sinker, right? With all the awesome stuff that we have in the church. Because finally, they want it themselves. We're not throwing it at them. They're looking for it, and then we're here to feed them, right? And this is where most of the time I want people coming into RCIA. If you're evangelizing, right? Because this is the point where it's like, okay, you're seeking something. And you know what that thing is? This is when you start recognizing that I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm starting to know who he is. Now, what is this sacrament thing? What is this church thing? And this is when I'm like, yeah, let's feed them because they're getting ready to come into the church. They're getting ready to possibly become Catholic. And this is when we're going to start throwing all the stuff on them, right? And so this is, this is the spot where more of my forte kicks in. Not the greatest evangelizer all the time, but I love doing this part of the faith, right? And most of us do too, but we need to work together on that. All right, and then the last part is being the intentional disciple, as we've talked about a lot yesterday. But the biggest thing here 
the biggest story and the biggest parable to understand intentional discipleship is the man that finds the pearl of great price. Right? We all know this story. The man finds the pearl of great price and goes and sells everything that he has in order to buy that pearl. This is the I am all in. I am changing my life. I am doing what I need to do in order to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I love Jesus. And because I love Jesus, I am going to go to Mass on Sunday. I am going to go to confession. I am going to receive the Eucharist. I am going to go to adoration. I am going to go to the parish mission where I'm going to listen to Father Eckert talk again. Right? This is what happens when we love Jesus Christ. These things just are easy. Not because we necessarily want to be here. Not because we necessarily like to be here. Not necessarily because it makes us feel good, but because we love Jesus. And that... And that is the reason why people stay Catholic. Because they love Jesus. Anything else, even the church, will fail us from time to time. But Jesus will never fail us. And now I'll give you a little hint. Some people move a little bit quicker than others through these, right? Sometimes that trust is all they need. And then they skyrocket up into that relationship with Jesus Christ. Some people get really stuck on the openness, right? They're just always curious. They're just always asking questions, but they want nothing to do with it in their own lives, right? Sherry estimates that the majority of Sunday Catholics are in the bottom two areas, which makes sense. Because if 71% of the nuns simply drifted away from church, well, you're not going to be drifting if you're seeking. You're probably not even going to be drifting drifting if you're open. It's when your curiosity has not been satiated or you have the lack of trust. Think about it. If 71% of the nuns drifted away, how many people are sitting in the pews next to you that don't trust the church? Just because they're here does not mean they trust the church. They might actually have a certain level of hatred towards the church. But for some reason, and for whatever reason, because that's just what they did when they were growing up. It's just what you do culturally. You feel like your grandmother is going to judge you if you don't come to church, right? For whatever reason, they're still walking into these doors. That means there's a little bit of fertile soil that we can grow and learn that story. But people are coming to the sacraments on a regular basis. People are coming to Mass on a regular basis, and they are not even past the curiosity stage. And this is why learning those stories are so important. We cannot assume that just because somebody's catechized, just because somebody is sacramentalized, because somebody is showing up on a Sunday, that they have taken this journey. As an adult, may I say, and this is why this whole parish mission came to be, because we're taking this journey with our youth. And guess what? That's, that's not working as we talked about a lot yesterday. And if you missed it, check out the recording, right? Except for Eric, because he doesn't have internet. So we need to be taking this journey. Now, last point before I hand it over to the Father. This is why we love converts. You know why? Because they already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
especially our Protestant brothers and sister converts. The only part they're missing is the trust in the Catholic Church. It's like, oh, well, that's easy enough. We can fix that. And then because they're already up here most of the time in their Protestant churches, they just skyrocket back up to being an intentional disciple. Right? They get the little bit of trust and curiosity thing satiated, and they go through that openness stage really quick because all of a sudden they're like, oh, I love Jesus. And now that I recognize that this is the church Jesus Christ founded, right up to the top. Right? Pretty awesome, right? We, as many of us would assume are cradle Catholics here, right? We might need to take a little bit of a lesson there, right? We have the true church of Jesus Christ, but we're missing the relationship, and that foundation is the important thing. All right, last point. Sherry asked the question. So she's been doing this for years, right? Sherry Waddell, right, author of this book. She's been, she was searching for this question for years and years and years before she actually wrote the book. And she started asking people, especially priests and pastors that work in churches, how many people, what percentage of your parish do you believe are truly intentional disciples? What percentage? The average percentage that she found from priests of who are intentional disciples in the church, five. Five. Five percent of Catholics. Maybe a little bit better here at Sacred Heart. I'm a little biased. Father would probably agree. But from all her surveys, she gets about 5% of Catholics are truly intentional disciples of Jesus Christ. 5%. That's not a lot. That's not even a lot of people that come to church on Sundays. Like I said, Sherry predicts the majority, I think she puts in like 75 to 80% of Catholics, even on Sundays, are still stuck in the trust and curiosity stage. So if we can make more disciples... What would happen if we simply took that percentage from five to six? Right? That is a huge percentage increase. Right? Huge percentage increase. Five to six. What if we, dare I say, doubled that number? What would happen to our parish? And that is where I want to leave it and hand it over to Father. Father. It's just the Holy Spirit coming in out of the church. On time, too. It's great. <laughs> I don't know if you all can see this. Well, A, I just have to say to Michelle and to others, you have to forgive Michael and I. We are trying to keep it kind of quiet. Like, the microphone's really temperamental in here, and it's difficult. And when we get excited, we start talking fast, and we start yelling. And like yelling in a good way, but we get really excited. And I know when there's fewer people in here, then it bounces and all that kind of fun stuff. So I apologize. I'm going to really try to like keep it at a lower volume, but I can't guarantee it's going to stay that way. Um, I really will try though. The second thing that was just great sitting at, you know, it's, it's been fun the last two nights getting to sit in our pews, which aren't as comfortable as I thought they were. Um, <laughs> But I will say this, in all honesty, they are more comfortable, believe it or not, than that seat right there. It's funny, but if you can see it, there's like a ledge that goes right along the back, and you can't sit in the right way. You're either too far forward or too far back. 
So you just have to have better posture and not actually use the backrest. Anyway, I digress. Um, but as Michael was talking, like there were several times he'd like lift his hand, talk about the Holy Spirit, and that door would blow open. So pretty awesome stuff happening. Uh, just like last night, and because this is uh, what I'm used to, I want to start with a brief reading from Sacred Scripture. This is actually going to be our second reading uh, for Palm Sunday, as it is every Palm Sunday, from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. And this is chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I begin with that particular scripture verse for several reasons. Um, It was the section of St. Paul's letter to the Philippians that was the focus of my master's thesis. And I remember (laughs) Palm Sunday weekend in 2009. I don't remember the exact date, but I just remember going into that Palm Sunday weekend. I didn't get to come home right away for uh, the Easter break because I had not yet finished my master's thesis and had to get a decent draft into my advisor. And I remember just like working so hard and, you know, just like doing my very best. It wasn't always the instant gratification monkey that kept me away. It was a lot of other things too, but it was like just trying to get that done. I remember going to mass and hearing that proclaimed and just like longing for the day of getting to be a parish priest. And then here I am now and that beautiful, they call it the Carmen Christi, the sort of summary of the fact of the love of Christ, of emptying himself, becoming like us in all things but sin, becoming obedient even unto the point of death, even death on a cross. And then everything that comes from that to the glory of God the Father, you know, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that it sums up everything so well that Christ has come to us to bring us into the eternal glory of the Father. I want everybody to share in that. It was interesting just kind of like working with Michael and trying to plan these nights, you know, especially for tonight. It's like, okay, well, I will say this one for me is a lot easier than yesterday. Yesterday was so hard because I don't like painting negative pictures. My personality mentality is I want to point out the silver lining. I want to say, yes, but. I want to say, yeah, we have to bear the cross, but remember the resurrection. I always want to point towards, you know, the final thing. So to, to have to sit with... 71%, it's rough. Or this many people don't even know that you can have a personal relationship with Christ. And this many people drift away. And like to just kind of leave it there was so hard for me. But that was a big challenge from Michael. And his criticism last night was, you were still too chipper. So like, I tried, right? But the reason why, it's like I want to be excited and point towards the silver lining is because of all that's happened for me. And I want to say, just quoting 
from the conclusion of the first chapter from Forming Intentional Disciples. Unfortunately, this story really reigns true in my own life too. Sherry Waddell explains this. A few years ago, I was having breakfast with an archdiocesan vocation director. On impulse, I asked him, what percentage of the men you work with, men discerning a possible call to the priesthood, are already disciples? His answer was immediate, none. Why do you think that is? He was very clear, they don't know how. No one has ever talked to them about it. Now think about that, and (laughs) I hate to tell you, but I think the same is very much true in my own life. And it's interesting to kind of go through and reflect on that, especially looking back on the last 12 years of priesthood. I mean, I've always loved the church, and I love my family, and I love the culture that I've come out of. And, you know, I entered seminary in 2004. I mean, we talk, you know, Michael did such a good job talking about the trust in the church. Well, 2004, you just think two years prior to that, was when everything hit the fan with the Boston Globe, right? And we're in the middle of a sex abuse scandal, and there's all this difficulty. And I mean, this is the church that I grew up with. This is the church that I love. I mean, this is my life. Like, it it almost felt like, you know, the country's going off to war. Doggone it. Like, I got to get up there and do my part, right? And I got to run in there and, and, and love the church and be right there and give my all. And I remember probably one of the most depressing periods of, of my life, the summer between uh, graduation from college at St. Louis University and entering the seminary at the Josephinum. Um, so three months there, I graduated from college on Saturday, and on Monday, I was working in a mailroom for Caterpillar Tractors in Morton, Illinois, for a subcontractor of the company that I worked for in high school as a janitor. And it was like, you know, going from the excitement of graduation to delivering mail. And it was just a very interesting summer. I wasn't yet in the, like, support surroundings of other seminarians. I wasn't like a normal guy anymore. I was that kid who's going to be a priest, but I didn't have the support of the other priests. And I'll never forget, one day I'm out, I'm delivering the mail like I'm supposed to in this big factory. And this guy goes, are you that one who's going to be a priest? I'm like, Yeah. He goes, what, are you like little boys or something? And I just remember it just like hit me between the eyes because it was funny. I was 22 years old. It's like, I am a little boy. Like, what are you talking about? And it was just, you know, one of those things where like you just see like the world around us and the difficulties there. But I will say, I wasn't yet at the point that we're talking about tonight. Like, I wish at that point in my life, I already had the like rock solid foundation in my relationship with Christ. I wish that I had this like level of discipleship that wasn't just like, okay, we're going to get through this. Now, obviously, I was open. I'm seeking. I'm counting the costs. I'm looking at these things. I'm starting to go through catechesis, all this. But I think it's fair on a certain level. Okay, no one taught them how. Because the reality is we don't really talk about this all the time. I mean, I'm sure you kind of experience it too. How many times when Michael says, you know, we've got to have our relationship with Jesus. We don't say his name that often. We don't sort of embrace that all the time. I think I've told you this story before, but just to kind of illustrate 
how I feel like how far I've kind of come in my own relationship. Several years ago, unfortunately not that many, we had a seminarian here with us for the summer. And, you know, the fun thing about having the seminarian for the summer, it's sort of like, hey, guess what? You get a second shadow. Like, he's going to be with you all the time. And, I mean, you know, it's not only like a normal internship where you're kind of showing the kid the ropes. He lives with you. Like, he's there all the time. And so, like, we're going out. I think we're going to the hospital or something. We get in the car. We're leaving. Now, my routine for a long time has been when I get in the car, I make the sign of the cross. I pray the angel of God prayer. I make the sign of the cross again, and I go on my merry way. Well, there's a seminarian with me, a guy, studying to be a Roman Catholic priest. And I embarrassingly did not make the sign of the cross, nor pray the angel of God prayer. Why? Like, what the heck is wrong with me? Like, I am a priest, right? Like, I should be, like, talking about this all the time. What am I afraid of? What am I embarrassed by? But it's sort of like this cone of silence that we talk about. It's sort of one of those things where that's, you know, it's just not what you talk about. I'm going to give one of the quotes from her book here uh, where it talks about breaking this, you know, cone of silence. Someone who's come along but still at this point feels a little odd. Because of Catholic culture, disciples often hide the proof, quote-unquote, of their discipleship, their works, so that no one accuses them of being prideful. I will say that because of cultural forces that put pressure on disciples to do things in secret. This pool of disciples has not necessarily had an impact directly on the life of the community. Now, taking everything into account that Michael just said, and it's also important, you got to know your audience, right? It's not like every person I see, like I'm checking out of the grocery store, I'm like, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Like, okay, yeah, I don't want to be weird, right? I get that. But to be fair, I already am weird, right? Like, I'm wearing, like, one of my favorite things when I was in Greensboro at Our Lady of Grace, I was there for two years, it was my first assignment. There were a couple of restaurant bars in the neighborhood, which was great. You just walk to them after Mass and all that. And there would be a lot of, we'll just call them alternative lifestyle type people that had many extra holes in their faces and a lot of, you know, ink all over their skin. And I loved it when I'd be in an ornery mood and be like, you think you're alternative lifestyle? Check this out. You know, like I, I'm really like trying to live the life here, guy. You know, and, but to know is like Michael was just saying, to listen to the story, not just the label. And to have the kind of relationship that is going to get you through good times and bad. To get to that point. And one of the beautiful things that Michael said last night that I really appreciated was that when you get to the point that you come to Mass, not because it's a mortal sin if you don't, and I love this one, not even because you want to, right? But because you are in love. And what I want for Sacred Heart Catholic Church, as the pastor of this church, is for everybody to be in love, right? Because we have love incarnate who comes to us, who wants to be in love with us, wants us to be in love with Him. And I think to say it in that way is kind of another way of saying being an intentional disciple. Being someone who, when you get up in the morning, it's one of the first thoughts on your mind. Not just, and I love you know the little saying, not just, good God, it's morning, but good morning, God. You know, it's those subtle little shifts that can mean so much. And I'm not embarrassed to tell you 
that that has happened for me a lot over the last few years. And I say few years, even though I know darn well I've been pastor here for eight years, and I would say that this has really happened within the last five, six years. Um, I've not been a religious prayer of the rosary my whole Catholic life. I love the rosary. I grew up watching my grandfather make rosaries. And yet, it's not always been something I've just jumped right to. It's not as though I've, you know, from the time I was a child, like, oh, this is the best part of my day. I mean, it's never been like that until recently. Um, To be able to spend the time in prayer, yes, we make a solemn promise at ordination to pray the Liturgy of the Hours. And quite frankly, it's very often like the lifesaver for a priest. Because it's what you're going to pray, whether you're on the job, whether it's a normal work day, whether you're on vacation, you promise these five times of prayer every day, and thanks be to God for that. Because there are times on vacation where it's been tough. Now, it's gotten to the point where I do it. And I do it because it's what I need to be doing. And it's part of the air that I breathe and the water that I drink. Last night, just to give you an example, the whole like, it's not even because you want to. You know, it was, <laughs> you know, calendars, like you look at the Google calendar, like it's so nice when you see a little bit of black. It's like there's a break between this and this. Yesterday, literally, from 7 a.m. until we finished last night at like 8.30, it was covered, right? I didn't get to take a break the entire day. And they're not saying this like, oh, Father, you're busy. Yes, I'm busy. It's okay. But I say this to get to the point that when we were finished and I locked up the church and I'm going to my car, I knew that I still hadn't prayed the rosary yet today. And originally, as I'm walking to the church, like, Lord, you don't mind. Like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to have some dinner. I'll pray the rosary. But literally, I'm walking in the car. I'm putting my bag in the car. I was like, just, just go. Just walk. Just start praying it. I mean, I get to be the pastor here. I get to oversee all of this. And I just was walking the grounds and started praying. It's like, oh, I'll just pray a decade now. And then another one, and then another one. And then by the time I got to the fifth decade, I just came back into the church and knelt down and prayed it and offered up the prayers to the Pope for the indulgence and finished up and said goodnight and went on home. And it wasn't because I was like, huzzah, I get to pray the rosary. But it was the, it was the, the great ending of the day, telling you about my day. you know, And especially with the help of our Blessed Mother. And even as I do that little action, it's like that emotional move. I remember one time, and I know it's kind of going back and forth in the timeline, and I apologize for that. And I guess just to illustrate that, as Michael said, it's not like it just all sort of happens at once and our timelines are different. But I remember one time in seminary, it was when I was in first theology, it was my third year in, and we had had this really in-depth class in our doctrine class, and it was difficult, but something had snuck through. Something had hit me for the first time. And I went outside and was walking our grounds and playing the, praying the rosary. And just all of a sudden, I just started crying. It's like, it's true. And how many things in our lives do we have that we can just do that about? And that are open to everyone. And so I think what we're striving to do, like why we're having a parish mission, and what we're even going to pitch, and this is where I'm kind of excited about this, so you, I had a few people last night kind of ask, like, okay, so is the program you're going to be doing this? Are you going to be asking us to do this? Here's what I'm really excited about. There is no program, right? 
I'm not even going to ask you for money, believe that or not. You know, like it's really exciting. Basically, what this all boils down to is I want us to be, to use the phrase, very intentional, to help one another to become intentional disciples. Now, we're going to be doing some things to try to facilitate that, to try to help with that. But a couple of points in this is what I really want as the pastor of Sacred Heart is for all of us to get to experience that love, to rest in that love, to have that love with us at the heart of everything that we do, and to be able to share that with the people that God puts in our life. I mean, it basically all boils down to that. I have the great opportunity of being a priest. It's a a glorious life. I love it so much, I would never give it up. And I think a big part of that is because I've finally gotten to this point, right? It's so scandalous and sad and all this when guys leave. But I think really what it boils down to is they're not in love. And he provides so much. He is here with us. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things about a vow of celibacy, of giving up a wife and family, it's not for a practical reason, right? It's not, well, Father needs to be free to go to all the meetings that there are. Well, I mean, come on. Like those of you who are doctors and those of you who are working in the corporate world, you're busy, like right? You're all involved in a lot of things. And it's like, okay, but you still get to have a family, right? Like I get the opportunity to offer up that part of my life to invite Jesus Christ into it in a completely full way. And this is the incredible thing to me too. He continues to call me deeper into that. I had a moment early on in the school year this year where it was hard. There are times when this is not an easy way of life, right? Where it's like I could feel the ache of celibacy in a real way. And I'll just tell you, and this is the beautiful thing about, okay, we get like the group that's together tonight. I mean, you guys are taking the time out. I get to be your pastor. Here's a moment of vulnerability, right? I'm out there high-fiving the kids at the end of the day as I want to do because it's wonderful. It's one of the best parts of my life. My childhood pastor told me one of his greatest regrets uh, from his past years as a priest is he didn't spend enough time in the school. And I can completely see that. The school, as Father Brian Cook told me, it will keep you on your toes and on your knees because you never know what in the world is coming. And I will tell you this too. Parents from the school, don't be offended by this, but I'm just telling you everything tonight. If you look at saints who have worked with kids over the years, they're always orphans. You ever notice that? Parents, they're not the easiest people in the world, right? They're very defensive of their children. It's great. It's wonderful. There's a lot of things that happen over there. But when you get to be with those little individuals and how wonderful they are, that particular afternoon in the fall, I'm high-fiving them, and I'm watching them get in their cars and go away. And there was something that, like, hit me so hard. It's like, they are not your kids, And they drive off, and it's like, oh, my gosh. And it was like, you know, when you just kind of like get hit all of a sudden, it's like things are just kind of difficult. And thanks be to God, (laughs) I didn't go, like, climb into a bottle. I didn't, like, you know, go just sit on the Internet for hours. I didn't play games. I came in here, and I knelt down for, like, two hours. And it's a beautiful thing. It was like he was telling me, look, yes, you're praying. You're staying in your office. But I want to know you better. 
get up earlier. Pray your office first, then come here and be with me. Just be with me. Just be quiet. we got to work on this relationship. This is a great thing about that, and I tell you that story, because it's not like we're done, right? We have the opportunity to keep growing all of the time. And the more that we grow in love with him, the more, A, first of all, we are fulfilled ourselves. I mean, I want you all to know this because I don't want you to miss out on it. And all of us are called to this. Yes, we have different vocations. Okay, you don't have a vow of celibacy, but that doesn't mean that he's not calling you into this intentional discipleship, that he doesn't want to be a part of everything with you every single day. He does. He's calling you too. And now granted, it's not going to be, hey, start waking up at 4.30 and get it. No, that's probably not what he's calling you to. That's okay. You're not a priest. You're not here. But he may be saying, as Michael was saying before, drop your nets on this. Like, let go of this TV show, which isn't going to help you anyway, and spend some time with me. You know, just step aside for a little while. Like, what is the thing right now? And you know, it's funny how early on, like, five minutes of a show can feel like, I can't give that up. Are you kidding me? And then eventually it's like, I don't even have a TV now. Because it just, eh, whatever. Like, it doesn't really matter to me. I'd rather be here. And it just happens with time. It's the way that he works and inviting us in. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's on offer for all of us. And I think the more that we take the time to reference that and look at where we are in our own journey, right, and how we can continue to grow, and we're committed to that growth, A, we are going to be more fulfilled. Each and every one of us. All of us here get to get to that pearl of great price, that treasure that's buried in the field, that aspect of, that's right there calling to you. And the beautiful thing then is the more that we are there with him, the more we're ready to share that with others. And obviously, that takes a little bit of understanding and knowing who your audience is, right? Like, I think it's so crucial for me as a confessor, like, I got to listen. What's going on? Is the person coming in and sounding like all proud and mighty? Are they coming in already weeping? Are they coming in and they were here last week? Has it been 30 years? I got to listen to all these things. And I know I'm the one person in this room who can go do that. But here's the great thing. All of you have a role in a certain way of getting people there, of like listening to their stories, of paying attention to the person in front of you, of noticing, okay, like there's something going on there. There's a wound. There's this. There's that. To not write them off, to not just use a label, I guess, one of those people, but no. Like, rather than, okay, it's one of those alternative lifestyle people that has too many holes in their face. No, it's, this is my new friend, Joe, and... Joe's had some tough times. I'm going to listen to him. And, and the beautiful thing is, as we focus on these sorts of things, as we strive to be intentional disciples ourselves, and we strive to share that with other people, the rich treasures that our Lord gives us are just incredible. Listening to stories, to the stories of the people that come into our lives, I mean, it's just so incredible. I mean, just today, like I got to be at the bedside of Barbara Wingerson, pray for her. I don't think she'll probably make it through the weekend. You know, we've got a bit of a history. We had Bud's funeral here four and a half years ago. You know, he's 
buried down in the cemetery, and very likely, Barbara will be soon too. And yet, we get to be a part of their life. You know, Bud was a Knight of Columbus. Barbara was a Catholic daughter. They have wonderful stories. We get to be right there. Candle right over there. It's for my buddy Marty Senna. Never got to go out to eat with him, but I always love saying goodbye to him after Mass. The reason these windows are no longer sagging is because he's such an excellent carpenter. You know, like there's so many, and, and those are just two little stories, right? And all of us get the opportunity to get to encounter those kind of stories. And so when we look at forming intentional disciples, the good thing is it's not like, okay, here's the program we're doing. Everybody get out there and recruit for and report back on Tuesday. Like, no, just be open. First and foremost, keep growing in your own prayer life, right? Do those different steps Michael was talking about, you know, where we're learning about the faith. We're spending time in prayer. But also, I think it's a horrible trick of the devil to try to tell us that we cannot talk about what is most important to us, right? And, and I get it, because I remember like looking at the seminary, and this is where I had that little story about you know, none of them are intentional disciples. I just remember going into seminary, just kind of like, I don't want to be like a televangelist. Like, I don't want to be like, you know, Jesus and talking about this all the time, you know? And it just kind of scared me. I didn't want to in any way look like a hypocrite. I'm not worthy for this. I mean, I've done things. I don't want to, yeah. But yeah, so is everybody. I mean, one of the beautiful things about the authenticity of our faith, read about the apostles in the Gospels. The foundational documents of our faith point out what a bunch of schmucks they all were, right? And you think about St. Peter, who did have a relationship with Christ, who was his right-hand man, who he said was going to build the church on him, and what did he do? He denied him the first chance that he got, right? But what followed after that? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And in the same way that I have to do that same recommittal, every single day. And I specifically do it at the Eucharistic prayer, after the Lamb of God. You know, never let me be parted from you. He's here with us. He doesn't want us to be parted from him. He wants to be a part of everything that we do. And I, honest to God, don't understand how people do it without him. Life is hard. But he's in the midst of all of this with us all of the time. And the more that we're rooted in that, the more that that relationship is authentic and real and we're working on it and we're growing in it. And like any relationship, they're growing all the time. You know, Agnes and John have been married for quite a few years. I don't know how many. It's been at least 10. I know it's been a lot, right? And I'm sure you're still growing in your relationship all the time. It's a beautiful thing. I've been a priest for 12 years. I know it's like, oh, you're a young guy. Okay, I get it. I'm feeling less young all of the time. But, you know, it's like I'm learning new things always. It's the glorious thing. It's like this awesome adventure. And the more we all are intentional about our discipleship, intentional about the way we interact with the people that come into our path, specifically right here, and intentional in just having that with us all of the time, the better and better we're going to make everything. As I've said, I want this place, yes, to be a saint factory. I want this place to be one that 
produces intentional disciples. Like, I love what we're trying to do because it's not like, hey, here's the new program. It's not like we're following the rule of St. Benedict. We're taking, like, the universal Catholic Church. We're taking the very heart of everything in Jesus Christ. We're going to be very intentional about striving to love him. We're going to be very intentional about trying to give that to other people. Fantastic. And really, it all boils down to that, right? Our encounter with the universal Holy Roman Catholic Church right here in Rowan County is sacred heart. And at the heart of that all is Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing here, too, I've been pastor here since 2014. I hope to be pastor here until 2064 or whenever the bishop tells me to go, right? Um, But the good thing is, like Michael was saying before, the church is made up of fallen elements, right? It's not like, oh, we're going to get behind charismatic so-and-so. No. What this whole thing is about is for all of us to strive to love Christ with all of our hearts and help other people to do the same thing. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter who the pastor is. It doesn't matter, you know, the different things that are going to happen. It doesn't matter what our schedules are like, because as we all know, things change overnight. Like, you just never know what's coming. But the one thing we do know is that he is in our midst. And so what I would say, just kind of in closing in this, you know, first round of mission talks, we're going to be getting together again in June, is to please be praying over the next several months, and especially as we move into these highest holy days of the year, to thank Jesus Christ for his presence, to know that he is here with us, to celebrate the fact that once again, we get to celebrate the Holy Tritum. We celebrate the fact of all this has happened, that though he was in the form of God, he didn't deem equality with God something to be jealously clung to. Rather, he emptied himself and is still here with us now. And knowing that, and praying for all the people we come into contact with, all the people that come under this roof, all of the people that we encounter all over the place, that we can share that great gift with them. Because one of the biggest things about saints is they make other saints. They help bring other people into that great treasure. They share the pearl of great price. It's one of the greatest things about it. The devil makes us think that it's all like a diminishing resource. No. The more we're in love with Christ, the closer we are to him, the more we climb that mountain, the more we're able to share that love. And as intentional disciples, that's exactly what we're all about. Praise be Jesus Christ. That's right. Wonderful. Well, I just went 12 minutes over, which I apologize, um, but I was kind of excited. I hope I didn't yell too much. I apologize if I did. Um, but like last night, why don't we take a couple of questions? Since last night I said we, we cut off at uh, 7.45. I'll tell you what, we'll go all the way to 7.50 tonight since we, I think both of us went over. That wasn't entirely my fault. Hold no, I, did go, I went over too. You did go over too. Does anybody have any questions? And if not, it's okay. I'm not going to be offended. That's a good question. Uh, yeah, Chris is curious how many people here are cradle Catholics versus converts. So Chris is asking the converts to please raise their hands right now. Just put your hand up in the air if you're a convert. Mm-hmm. Got a handful in here. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a, a good part that, the, that a lot of converts fall in love with Jesus. 
and then they try to understand who Jesus is, and Jesus leads them to the Catholic Church as the church he founded. And, I, and you hear a lot of stories about converts like that. I love Jesus. Jesus, where are you leading me to? Oh, it's the Catholic Church, the last place where I thought it would be. That's <laughs> no, a good question. And I think, you know, and, and Carolyn asked a question last night about local statistics too. And I think it's one of those things we'll probably try to maybe get a better handle on or try to have someone. But, you know, at the end of the day too, um, you know, whether our statistics are amazing, we're like blowing out the national average, or if they're pitiful, we're not doing what we're supposed to. Like, regardless, I think, you know, everything we've just talked about for the last couple days, um, it all sort of applies, you know? Because at the end of the day, like, okay, let's just say, like, okay, if, if Sherry Waddell is right, and the average is 5% are intentional disciples, and let's say here at Sacred Heart, we're blown out of the water, and we're 10%. Well, the ultimate goal is 100%, and we're all recognizing just, like, how awesome all of this is. So I think, I think there's a good place for statistics, and I think we need to keep learning about it. But I would definitely say, like, I, I think in the, in the whole vein of stories are more important than labels, it's just that every single day. Like, okay, who are you going to get to talk to today? Like, all of a sudden today, like, look at this. I get to have another wonderful conversation with my dear friend, Madam Regent Maria Perkins, and I'm going to learn more about the faith and what she's been doing to teach others about natural family planning. Like, it's... It's incredible the things that you learn. Tom Voiner, relatively new parishioner. But we've become good friends over the years by getting to see each other very often. We got to go uh, see the Robinsons the other day and take them communion. And it was, it was a really good moment. And it's like being able to talk to our Lord and then flow that out into our, our conversations and things with other people. It's just it's like that, that intentionality. Just It goes so far. It's like just seeing the, the treasures that you have in front of you all the time. It's great. So I was kind of a tangent. That's good with me. Yes, question. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Quick, quick summary. So for people that couldn't hear, left the church in '91. 
came back 2011, partly because of that trust and curiosity stage that we were talking about, right? That a lot of Catholics are in that trust and curiosity stage, and when they don't find that community, they don't find a relationship with Jesus Christ, they drift away. Um, and being a high school teacher and sticking it out and showing her love of Jesus Christ with her students, even if it isn't always easy at times, um, is really important. And we all have those similar experiences, right? Because as we were talking about with Mass, it's not about coming to Mass because it feels good or uh, we like it, but because we love Jesus. Same thing with our jobs, same thing with our lives. I don't always wake up liking my wife. <laughs> I always don't go to bed liking my wife. Let's cut okay. the live stream for just a yeah. second. <laughs> I think she's actually watching Hi Wife. <laughs> but the thing is, why do I do the dishes even when she's been asleep and I've been doing grad school for two hours and I really just want to go to bed? Because she's going to whine at me the next morning. No, because I love my family. Because I love them. Because I love my family. And I work at the church and I come here joyfully because I love working with the parishioners. Because I love Jesus and want to introduce Jesus to everyone in the humble, small ways that I can by working here at the church. So, do everything with great love. Because you love Jesus. Everything in your life. And that's ultimately kind of how you be a disciple. I love when things boil down to that. It's great. Sure. Sure. No, and I think. Father, could you summarize that for the people on our yeah, live stream? Of course. Mary's just saying, you know, ultimately, a lot of the places where the small or the, the discussions come out about our stories, our testimonies, about our relationship with Christ is in small groups when we're getting together. And there are some wonderful movements that we have in the church Crucio, Emmaus, um, some other different uh, groups that sort of facilitate small group discussions where these things do come out. And I think yes. And that, that is one of those things like figuring out the way to make sure that we are very much helping to make that happen more and more. And, and providing the opportunities for people to get to come together. Because I will say, it's like, okay, all of us are very much different people, right? We all have our different gifts and characteristics. 
And I think the question is, is okay, how do we incorporate you know, everybody that we can? How do we build on those and how do we you know, offer up opportunities for us to strengthen one another in the faith and make it a lot less likely that someone is going to just sort of drift away from here. Um, so, yeah, just to kind of build on that point, and it's something that we'll be building on and talking about more in June as well. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Can I say it better myself? Well, excellent. Anything, anything else? Any other questions? Okay, I think we hit 751. Perfect. So here's the, here's the good thing. Let's all agree be praying for the parish and for one another um, during the next two months. What is the next? Is the next one is it June 7th, June 8th? Something like that. We'll, we'll get it out there. We will make it known. But I'll tell you what, um, every morning when I'm driving from the rectory over on beautiful Gallery Place right over here, um, it's just enough time for one decade of the rosary. And every morning I offer it up for a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Sacred Heart and my own heart and throughout the whole church. Um, I invite everybody to join me in that intention, like just praying for that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because this is the good news. None of this, as Michael was really good in pointing out, is on any of our shoulders. I mean, the Holy Spirit provides and will continue to guide us, you know, and that's the beautiful thing about all of this. Like, we know that He's guiding the church, we know that He's given us the sacraments, we know that He's given us one another. We know the church has been here for 2,000 years, and my goodness, it's like, there had to have been greater incompetencies in the past than there are now. So we know we're going to make it through, right? It's the same Holy Spirit. And so just to continue to pray for that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So tonight, let's close with the decade of the rosary. We'll pray once again the third glorious mystery, the descent of the Holy Spirit on the apostles. We'll offer it up for our parish and uh, give everyone a blessing. And we can go on our way. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The third glorious mystery, the descent of the Holy Spirit on the apostles. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those who most need of thy mercy. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. Ave, Ave, Ave Maria, Ave, Ave, Ave Maria. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Have a great night, everyone.